turn with me the Bibles to Psalm 127. I like that song. Good. Still singing songs on the way to church. Uh, I keep uh, thinking about that one message from the Psalms on the way to church. says, let's go. The dad is saying, let's go, let's go, let's go to church. Uh, Look at Psalm 127 today. It is in the beginning stated to be a song of Solomon. I don't know if Solomon wrote it or if David wrote it to give to his son Solomon. I think there's a lot of difference of opinion on that. I'm not sure it really matters, but to understand that uh, Solomon, who was the most wise man who has ever been, had some portion in this, probably gives some, some insight into it as we look at it. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. There's almost like a break between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 through 5, and I'll try to bring that together in just a minute. I think the point of the song is mainly in verses 1 through 2, and then verses 3 through 5 are like an illustration. Children are an illustration of the first two verses. And so it is about the blessing of children and the blessing coming from the, these children coming from the Lord, but that's an illustration because that's an obvious statement that children are a blessing from the Lord. So let's look back at verse 1 and 2. There are three kinds of uh, work being done here. The first one is a builder, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Now, there's discrepancy on whether this is the Lord's house that's being built or your house that's being built. And I think it could be either one, especially in regards to Solomon. Solomon, if you know much about him, the Lord used him to build the first physical temple in Jerusalem. He would not allow David to do that, but he allowed David to gather a lot of the materials, and then the Lord used Solomon to build his house, and it was one of the most elaborate and beautiful and luxurious buildings ever built. But then the Lord also used Solomon to build the city of Jerusalem and the walls around it and also his own house. And so you could look at this in either regard, either the Lord's house or your house, the point of it is, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. But building is hard work. If you do much building, you know that. Uh, Cindy and I built our house. Some of you may know that or may not know that. We built our house when we uh, came here. We did everything but the sheetrock. Cindy and I did. And it took us a long, long time. And about three plus years. And Cindy, if she were here, she would tell you we're still not finished. Yes, me, we're done. All done. <laughs> But anyway, uh, building's hard work. I have absolutely no desire to build another house at all uh, because it's really hard. There's so much to do. It looks so exciting when you get the frame up. And uh, we went uh, 
couple years ago, my family and I went to Asheville to help one of my nephews get the frame up on his house, and we got pretty much the second floor and up done in one day. And it's so exciting. You're like, man, this is easy. Look what all we did today. Oh, but it takes a lot after that. That's just the beginning of it. There's so much more to do after it's framed in. Building is hard work. But unless the Lord builds the house, all that work is vain. Look also in verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the first we have a builder, now we have a watchman. A watchman was a very common term in the Old Testament. Uh, many of the cities would have been surrounded by walls, and uh, they would position the walls in such a way that somebody could get up on top of them and watch for danger that was coming. The word watchman means to lean forward and to look as far as you can see into the distance and to be prepared for anything that may be coming. And so to be a watchman is to guard or protect the city. And that's hard work also. They're not just guarding one person, they're guarding the whole city. Think about this. Your, think if your job had within the weight of it the protection of the whole city, every person in the city. And then for me, this seems even harder. The, the big part of your job is two things, to look constantly and stay awake. <laughs> that, that would have been tough. Like I, I couldn't be a truck driver because when I get on the road, I'm going to sleep. But to stay awake and to look at a distance for a long time is really hard. And the watchman would not have only been something at night. Sometimes we think the watchman would have only been up there on the wall during the night. No, it was around the clock. It was day and night. Men would take turns being the watchman for the city. Trying to stay awake and guard the whole city, it would have been hard. In Ezekiel chapter 33, it talks about watchmen and their responsibility. It says when they saw something coming, they were to blow the trumpet. And if men would hear the trumpet and take the warning, they would be saved. Their life would be saved. And, and if the watchman did not see the trouble and blow the trumpet, and the men were not warned, then God found the watchman guilty. It said that he would be harmed in his iniquity and that the Lord would require the blood to be on the watchman's hand. In other words, God held that man responsible if he did not blow the trumpet or stay awake when the danger was coming. In the book of Isaiah, uh, the Bible begins to call the prophets of God the watchmen of the city. Because you're not only watching for physical harm, but you're to watch for spiritual harm. And so the prophets in the Old Testament were those that were to proclaim the word of God, the truth of God, to keep people from falling into dark sin and rebellion against God. In Isaiah chapter 56, it says this about those prophets during that time. It said, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all like dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. They are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way for his own gain, for his own territory. They say, I will bring wine and fill ourselves with intoxicating drink, and tomorrow will be as today, if not more abundant than today. In other words, we'll get more drunk tomorrow than we have 
today. Look what it says there, blind. It's hard to be a watchman if you're blind. They are ignorant, and they are like dumb dogs, dogs that cannot bark. I heard a great message on this when I was a young man called to preach, and this, the title of it was Dogs That Will Not Bark. Preachers that will not preach the Word of God. Preachers that will not tell the truth about what God says and what God desires. There are a lot of churches today that have preachers like that that will not preach the Word of God. And those people in those churches, though they go to church every Sunday, they're in great danger. They have no watchman. There's no protection for them. The watchman in the New Testament goes on to be the elders and the preachers of the church. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account to God. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So there's a responsibility in the New Testament on preachers and elders proclaiming the truth of the word and in so doing, watching the souls of the members of the church. But again, the point is in the end of verse 1, it says, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, they stay awake in vain. The third person we see here is what I'll just call a worker. We had a, a builder and a watchman. Now we have a worker in verse 2. It says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so God gives His beloved sleep. Notice the word sorrows. The Eat the bread of sorrows. The word sorrow, sorrows here is, is hard toil. Hard work, work that causes pain. It's like you do some really manual labor of some of you guys, and you haven't done manual labor in a while, and the next day your back hurts, or your leg hurts, or your arm hurts, and you're sore all over. It's because you worked really hard, and it caused pain that went on after the work was finished. He's saying here you eat the bread of hard work. In other words, you eat this bread of painful work. It's the man, it's obvious from verse 2, it's the man who works hard for long hours. Notice he rises up early and he stays up late. He works hard lots of hours during the week. The man who stays up eating the bread of sorrows. This terminology, stays awake eating the bread of sorrows, is a picture of somebody who's up late at night thinking about his work even though the work is finished. He can't let it go. It's still in his head. The work has stopped from the day, but late at night he's worrying over it. That's why some of your versions will put in, in this verse the word anxious. I'm not going to preach on the word anxious because it's not in the original language, but some of your Bible translations will throw in this verse if you, uh, if you look at it, the word anxious here. And it's because it's, it's drawing out this pers perspective that this guy's work is done. He's still staying up late and he can't get the work off his mind. He's eating the bread of sorrows. He's laying there in his bed, and the, the things of work are still weighing him down, even though he's laying in the bed. And again, the point is made. It is vain 
The word vain used again. The third time this word vain has been used already. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. For God gives His beloved sleep. The word beloved here is the Hebrew word Jedidah, which would be another word for Solomon. He gives His beloved, those He loves, He gives them sleep or rest. He gives you this ability to let go of work. To stop working and to just rest in the Lord. The Lord's arms. And so, taking all of this, the builder, the watchman, and the worker, in, in all of these cases, he's saying, it is vain for you to do these things if God's not in it. It is vain for you to build if God's not the builder. It's vain for you to watch if God's not the one who's watching. It's vain for you to work hard if God's not the one giving you your sleep. And then verses 3 through 5 become the illustration of that. How vain it is without God. Let's look at it. Verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. It means that they are a possession, a property, an inheritance that's given to them by God. It says the fruit of the womb is a reward. Children, obviously, are the fruit of the womb. And they are a reward from God. Children are given by the favor of God. And, and the reason I can say that it's an illustration, we'll get into this more in the application points, but he's saying, unless the Lord builds a house, it cannot be built. Unless the Lord watches the city, it will not be protected. Unless the Lord is involved in your work, it'll, it'll, you'll eat the bread of sorrows day and night. God gives you sleep. And so the illustration then becomes children. You can't take credit for your children. You can't say, I worked hard and I got this child. God gave it to you. God gave you the son or the daughter. And that's the illustration of verses 1 and 2. It's the same thing. Everything you have is a gift from God. And now children become the illustration of that. Look at verse 4. Like the arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So these children are now compared to arrows. You want to write out beside arrows the word children. And, and dads are now compared to warriors. I like that, God. Don't you like that? We're warriors. We're now compared to warriors, and we have these arrows, these children, and they're, it says... There's something that makes us happy, verse 5, and our quiver, which would have been hung on their shoulder or on their back, would be full of them. And men shall not be ashamed in the gates. In the gate in the Old Testament, you have to understand, was where the court took place. It's where disputes were handled in the gate. The king would sit in the gate and answer disputes. And so this is a picture of going into a courtroom, if you can think of it like that. And it says, dads are happy there. They have a, a bunch of children on their shoulders, or, or the picture is standing behind them. Can you see that? If you can see me standing here, and my two little boys standing here, who are now big boys standing here, kind of peering over my shoulders. That's the picture, and we're standing in court. And it says, dads will not be ashamed even when you speak with your enemies in the gate, because look what's behind that dad. It's his sons and his daughters that have been raised to honor the Lord and live for the Lord, and there's no shame there. 
Let's go into application. Number one, sleep or rest is a blessing from God. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I preached on this, or used this illustration so many times. The yoke being pictured here is a wooden yoke. I still want one. I don't have one. If anybody ever finds one, I want one to hang on my wall. We might even put it up here somewhere. The picture is that the older ox would put his head in the yoke. It's wooden. The younger ox would put his head in the yoke on the other side. The elder is God. The younger is you and me. And that older, larger, stronger ox would stay half a step ahead of the younger. And he's, he's teaching him and he's training him. But he's also, because it's made out of wood and not leathers, you know, reins are made out of leather, so equal weight could be placed on each animal. But this was a wooden yoke so that it, if he's just a slight little bit above or ahead of the other one, all the weight is on the one in the front. That's the picture. And so he's saying, come unto me, me, you who labor and heavy laden. If you're laboring and working hard and you're burdened down in your weight, it's because you're pulling the weight by yourself and you're not in the yoke with God. You're doing it all by yourself. You're trying to make things happen by yourself, cause things to come to be by yourself, and you're not in the yoke with God. And he's saying, it gets like God saying, come to me if you're laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's like he said, here, here's my yoke. Get in here with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And when you walk beside me, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's asking this one thing of you. He's not asking you to make it happen. He's not asking you to conjure things up. He's not asking you to get things done. He's saying, get in the yoke and walk beside me. That's all he wants from you. Get in the yoke and walk beside me and I will carry you and your, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sleep and rest are a blessing from God. It says in this verse, it's vain to get up early and stay up late and eat the bread of sorrows for God gives His beloved sleep. And so the point is, he stands guard while we sleep. He's the watchman over the city. He builds houses while we sleep. He's raising your children and training your children and, and giving your children the truth of his word and the spirit and all that even while you sleep. And he even works while you sleep. Aren't you glad of that? Sometimes we just need our rest and we go to bed and we sleep. But God's still working. God's still doing things. God's still moving in people's lives and moving in your family's life, moving in your spouse's life and moving in your children's life. God's working even when you're not even thinking about it. You're just resting and sleeping. Don't forget Psalms 121 from just a few weeks ago. Let me read it to you again. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. True rest or sleep 
comes from God. Number two, it's all vain without God. If it was Solomon who wrote this song instead of David, listen to Solomon's words about vanity in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Here's what Solomon says. I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water, water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female slaves. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the son of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on the works that my hands had done, and the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun there. He says, I looked around after it's all done. It's like the words of a dying man. And I, I looked around and I thought, it's all vanity. It's like grasping for the wind. You can't catch the wind. There's no profit under the sun in this. The word vain means to be empty. It also is translated sometimes as a lying or lie, to tell a lie. It's like to look at something and think there's success in that and you find out it was all a lie. It also means to be worthless. Sometimes it's translated as a failure and as a waste. To say that all that your works had been accomplished, all this that you had done, the building of a house, the watching of a city, the laying awake at night, the rising up early and going to bed late to, to work and work and work, and to look at it when you're all done and say, it's as if I failed. Why is it like you failed? Because it's all a waste. It all has no value. It all is useless. You want to get a good perspective on this? Let your wife get cancer and think that she could die this year. Gives you a healthy perspective on the vanity of so many things that do not matter. Things we get up early for, things we go to bed late for that do not matter at all. And probably, I, I may have gone past healthy into a little bit unhealthy because I'm at the point now where I just don't care about so many of those things like I used to. They just don't matter. You know what matters? People matter. People matter. Now, I'll give you this. There's some real stinkers who are called people. Can you all with me? That's, nice. That's a nice way of saying it. They're, they're mean, hateful, jerks, enemies of the cross, enemies of God, vicious people. But I'm going to call them stinkers, okay? 
there's some real stinkers. And if you're not careful, when you encounter some stinkers, maybe one after another for a while, your heart will start to get hard and you'll care about the things of the world instead of people. But what the Bible's saying here is all these things are vain. But what matters is people. Just because you've met some stinkers, don't you forget there's still some precious people out there that Jesus died for and that have been born again. There's some very precious people. And so you come away from this when it's all vain without God. You come away with this knowing unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, they stay awake in vain. It is vain to get up early and stay up late because God gives His beloved their sleep. Everything is vain without God. Number three, acknowledge God gave it to you. What? Gave what to me? Everything. God gave me everything that I have. Deuteronomy chapter seven, chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Notice what it says there. Then you say in your heart, you get to this place in your life where you say to yourself, my power and my hard work and my strong hand has gathered me this wealth. Look at me. And then you will remember the Lord your God is the one who gives you power to get that wealth. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. What's he saying there? You don't have the power to determine whether you make wealth or don't make wealth or whether you have something or don't have something. You can't just pull up your bootstraps and go to work and get it because lots of people pull up their bootstraps and go to work and they don't get it. Do you, do you know that? If you don't see it in America, go to other countries. I've been in other countries. People work hard in some of these countries. I, I went to Russia, Cindy and I did every year for about six years in a row. And you know, one of the things I noticed, there were these classy, well-dressed ladies, I'm, I'm talking about wearing dresses in about their 30s, who, you know what their job was? Their job was to sweep the street all day long in a dress in high heels. I saw that everywhere. It, it, it broke my heart. Working hard, they're not wealthy women. They're working hard women, but they're not wealthy women. They have very little. It is God who determines what you get. In other words, you wouldn't have a house if God didn't give it to you. You would not be protected if God didn't do the protecting. And you would not even be able to work if God did not give you the strength to do it and the knowledge to know how to do it. He's saying here, everything good comes from God in verse 1 and 2. And then in verse 3 through 5, he's going to say, here's the proof of it. Look at your children. This is the proof that everything good comes from God. It's not your labor and diligence that gets you children. They're obviously from God. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are the reward of the womb. You can't build a child, can you? You can't make a child. They are God's gift. They are God's reward. Children are not the fruit of your labors. They are the fruit of the womb and they are the reward of God. There's a, there's a 
huge principle. I've worked really hard to only preach one message on one of these psalms, but y'all better pray for me because it's hard every week to just stay in one message because there's a huge message right here on abortion. Do you see it? It is the intervention of God that every child is born. It's not just biology. God from heaven intervenes and He decides... I'm going to place a child in that womb, and that is a reward from heaven. It is the direct intervention of the Holy God when a child is conceived. Not just simple biology. And so he's, he's saying this to you. This is the proof that everything gets, comes from God. Look at your children. You can't take credit for what give, God gives you. Look at your children. You can't take credit for even what you get by working hard. Look at your children. That's what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? John chapter 3, verse 27, when John the Baptist says this, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. God in His sovereignty decides what you have. He decides where you live. He decides what nation you were born in, what parents you were born to, what city you live in, what person you're to marry. God decides these things and you have little, little, little to do with it. It's up to God. And if you think what you have came from you, if you do that, then you worship you. Do you see that? If you take some kind of credit for what you have because of whatever you've done or worked hard or been smart or whatever, then you worship you. And I would then say, then you scare me. The point is here that we work for God. The illustration of this would be from Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about servants, bond servants. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so you're working for somebody, but you're doing this as to God from your heart to God, as to Christ. With goodness, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, it says. Knowing that whatsoever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Saying, this applies to everybody. Whether you're a slave or free, whatever work you're doing, don't do it to men, but do it unto the Lord. So what does that make your work then? It makes your work a worship to God. You're worshiping God when you're working. If you credit everything you have as coming from God. You're worshiping you when you're working if you credit everything you have as coming from you. See the difference? And so if you can see God's design and God's sovereignty and God's power in everything you have that it came from God, then your work becomes worship. And worship is needful in our work so that we would do a better job. And you say, why is that, God su that guy such a sorry worker? He's just working for himself. Why does he not come in on time? He's just working for himself. Why does he not do a good job? He's just working for himself. But we are different than that. We're working for the Lord as unto the Lord. When you know that it all comes from God, your work is worship and God is in the center of everything you do. 
This is not to ignore hard work or to say that there's no value in hard work, because let's go back to the three illustrations, a builder, a watcher, and a worker. A builder, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, he who builds it builds in vain. A builder's still out there building the house, right? His, his arm is still getting sore from slinging that hammer. But God is making it something more than a house. He's making it a home. He's making it what he wants it to be. What about the watcher? It's the guy who's staying awake. He's working hard to stay awake. It's hard to do this, watch over the city. But he can stay awake 24 hours a day, every day, unless God watches that city. It's all in vain. It's not ignoring that there is to be hard work to be done. But that hard work must still even be recognized as coming from God. A good illustration of this is Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Listen to what he says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with him. Did you get what he's saying? He's saying, look at what all I've been given by God. The grace of God has made me what I am. But then he says, but know this, God's grace towards me is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because I work harder than anybody. I realize how much God's given to me, and because God's given me so much, I have a responsibility to get to work and to work harder than anybody. That's what Paul says. But the grace of God which was with me, yet not I, it goes on, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, even, even when I work harder than anybody else, it's only because God, by His grace, enabled me to do that. I work hard. And I worship God. And I acknowledge that everything I have is from God. Let's give you some verses that say that. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.23 And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you're working really hard. You know that God's given you everything that comes out of it, and you're still worshiping Him and praising Him all the while. Do you know what? This is the gospel. This is what the gospel is. Don't trust in your works to receive the favor of God. That's what the gospel is. And he's saying, as a builder, as a watchman, and as a worker, don't trust in your works to receive the favor of God because you didn't do that with children. You know God just gave you children and God's also just going to give you a house and He's also just going to give you protection and He's also just going to give you the ability to work and the intelligence to work. Why is that? Because He's a God of grace and He loves you. It's the same as the Gospel. You can't find favor with God by anything you do. You get it through Jesus, His Son. And so God then says, come to me. Listen to that in, in Isaiah 55. Hey, so it kind of starts like that. It's hope, but hey, hey, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy 
Listen carefully to me, God says, and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's the gospel. Come to me, you who thirst. You say, I have no money. He says, come. You say, I can't buy it. He says, come and eat. Come on in to my house and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Stop spending up your money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy. Come to Jesus, is what he's saying. That's the gospel. You do not earn it, you get it as a gift of grace. So acknowledge that everything you have comes from God. And the fourth, children are a blessing from God. It's what the illustration is. The Lord gives us children. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are the fruit of the womb. His reward. Children are a blessing from God. The Lord gives life. The Lord gives children. They are a blessing. I'm not going to preach a lot about that because I think our church gets that. Do we get that? I think we get that. Children are a blessing. They're not a pain. They're not a burden. They're not something we despise. We want to go away and put in another room. We want them with us and near us. Why? Because they are a blessing from God. So I'm not going to preach about that, but I'm going to say what this doesn't say. Okay? We know that our children are a blessing from God, so what is this not saying here? It's not saying that the number of your children mean you're more or less blessed. It doesn't say that. It just says children are blessing from God. It also doesn't say that the blessing of children is contingent upon their health. Some children are healthy. Some children are sick. Some are even born sick. Some children will live in need of care all their lives. Do you know, how many of you know Matt and Jenny that used to go to our church with the mission field in Russia? And now they're back home. While in Russia, they adopted two children, a boy and a girl, who they knew when they adopted them, they will need perpetual care the rest of their life. When Matt and Jenny die, these children will still need care from somebody. It's amazing, isn't it? I, I remember when I found out what they were doing, I, I wept. Like, oh my goodness. They went and knowingly adopted two children that will have to be taken care of from till the day those two children die. They will never grow out of it. Some children even die before they reach adulthood. Some children will die before their parents. And many children die in what we call a miscarriage before they're ever born. But every single one of these children are still a blessing from God. The blessing of children is not contingent on how they turn out. In other words, the blessing of children is not contingent on whether or not they live for God or come against God. 
Some of your children, even children in our church, will commit sin. Some of your children will even live in sin. Some of your children will break your heart. I don't know if there's any more heartbreak than there is the heartbreak of a, a wayward child, is there? I don't know if there is. Some of your children, you'll weep through the night over heartbreak for them. But they're still a blessing from God. Amen? Amen. We need to own that one, that point there as a church. We need to own that one. Or we will lack in our love for children. Do you get that? There will be children that will come into Lighthouse Church midst, the midst of you and of your family. And if it's not from your family, it may be from the family that sits beside you and that will be a troubled child living towards sin instead of towards the Lord. But that child is still a blessing from God. Children are a blessing. You get to pray for them. You get to take care of them. You get to raise them. You get to teach them. You get to change them and wipe them and say no to them. No. 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 You get to be repetitive to them. You get to love that little child from the day they're born even after they die, you'll still love them. And that, the Bible says, is a reward from God. That does not mean there will be no difficult times. If you think that because you have a difficult time with your child, then that means it's not a blessing from God, then you don't understand God's blessings. Because many of God's blessings come with difficulties. Work is a blessing from God, but we just read. Work is a labor. It's hard. Old age is a blessing from God. Getting to live to be, to get old is a blessing from God. My grandmother is 98 years old. She's still alive. She's such a blessing. It's a blessing. That my people live to be a long time. I hate to tell y'all, I might be here forever. Amen. Do, do you know I have known... Let me go through this real quick. Since I was alive, I knew one great... Let me get this straight now. One great-great-grandmother, she lived to be 100. I knew... How many great-grandmothers do you have? Eight, is that right? Eight. I knew like seven of them. They were still alive. I mean, I, 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 especially the Dorsey side, they all lived forever. Scary. The ones who died young, you know how they died? They died drunks. That's true. It's funny, but it's true. We had a lot of... That's why I don't drink. It's, it's a blessing to grow old. But do you know what I'm learning? Because I'm not old yet, but I'm starting to see it in the distant future. <laughs> Getting old is one of the hardest things in life. Do you know that? Amen. But it's a blessing. But it's a blessing to get many years. Salvation is a blessing from God. But it's a war every day. And it's hard. 
Don't judge God's love for you on whether or not He gives you children because some will never have children. Don't judge God's love for you by how many children He gives you. In other words, to say He has more than me, He's more loved by God than me. It doesn't, it doesn't say that here. Don't judge God's love for you by how faithful your children turn out to be. They, some will be faithful, some may not. And if you are struggling even now to, to have a child, and you say, God doesn't love me, He won't even give me a child, or won't even give me a husband, or won't even give me a, a wife, God's answer, I think, would be, I do love you. I did give you a child. I gave you my child. His name is Jesus. He went to the cross for you. Children are a blessing from God. <clears throat> Number five, last one. Men who are warriors. Look what it says in verse, verse five. Go start verse four. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. The word warrior here literally translated is mighty man or strong man. Some some places it's, it's translated giant. I like all of those. Men, we're giants. We're strong men. We're mighty men. At least I, I hope you want to be. A mighty man for God. A strong man for God. A giant for God. I believe... I believe this. I've always believed this as a pastor. God help me. I never lose this belief. I believe every man who's really saved, not faking it, he's really saved. He wants to be God's man. He wants to be a mighty man as a husband. He wants to be a mighty man as a father. Why? Because when Jesus saved him, God put that inside of him. Every single one of them. And if I talk to a man and he says I differ with that, I don't feel like that, I will question his salvation. Because I believe if you're here today and you know that God saved you and redeemed you from your sins, you step there as a man who wants to be God's man as a husband and God's man as a father. You want to be the kind of husband God would have you to be. You want to be the kind of father God would have you to be. And the Bible here is singing a song about it and he's saying the same way a house doesn't get built without God and a city doesn't get protected without God, you will not become God's man without God. That's what he's saying. You need the Lord in your life. You can't fake it. You can't just go through the motions. You think, well, I'm a little bit far away from God, but look, my family's still doing okay. I'm a little bit far away from God, but look, my marriage is still doing okay. That's a lie from hell. That's not the truth. Because to be God's man, you need God involved. You need God involved in your life before you're going to be rightly involved in your spouse's life and rightly involved in your children's life. And if you're distant from God right now, it ought to scare you. Scare me why? Scare you because what it could do to your marriage and what it could do to your children's life because you are not walking with the living God. And if you're not walking with God, it's all vain. Everything you're doing is vain. Everything you think you're accomplishing, it's vain. It has no value. It is a waste. It is a failure. It means nothing in this old world. But if God's in it, He makes it mean something. He makes it count for something. Men are warriors. Mighty men, strong men. 
giant men. Look at verse 4. Your children are like arrows in your hands. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Remember, arrow is a reference to your children. Look what it says. They are in your hand, men. Hands are on. In your hands. Your hands must be on your children. They need your influence. They need your guidance. They need your touch. They need your hug. They need your love. They need your time. They need your words. You say, what about mom? I'm not negating mom, but I'm talking to the lawyers right now. They need you in their life. They need your hands on their life. And it's easy to think, well, I don't have much to give. And, and, and be humble and just kind of step back. And she's a, Look, y'all in my life, she's fabulous. I can do this. I can just step back. Cindy, take it. If you're a good woman, just take them. That's not what God designed is. That's not what His plan is. Don't try to humble your way out of this. In your hands. They're to be in your hands. Men, stop putting your children in other men's hands. Don't desire that. Don't desire other men to train them. Don't desire... I, look... I own this part of it. I didn't want other men to teach my children. Now, they, they get taught by other men, and, and they get help from other men, and I'm thankful for every one of that. But what I'm saying is I didn't want to skirt my own responsibility by turning them over to some other... I'm going to be nice. I'm being nice. Some other guy. I'm going to say something bad if I don't just say guy. Some other guy in any capacity. to be in your hands. Stop giving away to other men. And, and, and in this point right here where it talks about rising up early, going to bed late, eating the bread of sorrow. Let me just say to you guys, if you go to work before your children get up and you get home after your children have already gone to bed, then your children are not in your hands. I'm not saying that might not happen occasionally, emergencies happen, hard things happen, but if that's the consistency of your household where you get, you leave for work before they get out of bed and you come home from work when they're already in bed, then your children are not in your hands. That's not God's design. There are to be arrows, it says verse 4, arrows. If you know anything about bow hunting, I could spend a lot of time on this, just say it real quick, they gotta be, arrows need to be straight and they got to be sharp. And men, it is our responsibility to sharpen those arrows and straighten our children. That means discipline comes from men. It's all in the Bible. Men, is to be the, men are to be the primary disciplinarian, and men are to be the primary teachers of the Word of God in our homes. I'm not saying that women can't do it. I'm saying that the Bible teaches over and again, over and again. It says fathers teach your children the ways of the Lord. It says fathers take the lead in the discipline of your home. And if you step back from that as a man, you're not being the strong man God called you to be. You're not being the warrior that this song is about. And then one final point is it says these arrows are the hand of a warrior. His quiver will be full of them and they, he'll not be ashamed before his enemies. The picture here is of that father. Once they're straight and sharp, he shoots them. An arrow is to be shot. 
They're to be released one day to go and marry somebody else and have their own family. They'll carry on your name and hopefully carry on God's name, but they'll go and have a family of their own. In our generation, a lot of parents are struggling with that. Do y'all know this? My grown kids keep meeting grown kids whose parents don't want to let them go. It's just the way it is. They want them to be right there. They're to be released at some point and cleave to another. The glory of the Lord. They're to be shot. Would you pray with me? Men, would you make this your prayer right now? Would you say, Lord, make me a warrior. Make me a strong man for the glory of God. Would you pray that? If the Lord, right now, while you pray that, if the Lord shows you things to do, you tell Him you'll do it. If He shows you something different you need to do, commit it to Him right now. Because I believe that's the way the Spirit of God works. I know... I can't preach without the Lord. And the Lord works in your heart even before I have to. I don't even have to bring it up. I don't even have to say it. The Spirit of God is already impressing on your mind, guys, things that you need to stop or things that you need to do different. Maybe something about your work. Maybe something about your private life. The, the Spirit of God is already working in your life to show you things that need to change. And God... God wants to make you that strong man, that warrior, that giant in your home for His glory. He wants to put His hands on you. God does. He wants to put His hands on you and make you the man that He wants you to be. And I'm asking you today, if you agree with that, if you desire that, ask Him for it now. Say, Lord, I want you to make me that man. I want you to make me the man you want me to be. Help me to love my wife, Lord. Help me love my wife the way you want me to love her. Help me, Lord, to be the father, to, to be bold. Sometimes, men, we, 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 don't, we don't say what we need to say for the Lord. We'll say what we need to say for the world, but sometimes we don't for the Lord. Lord, help me to be bold, to say what needs to be said sometimes to my sons and to my daughters. Maybe it's discipline needs to be said. But maybe it's love. Lord, Help me to put my hands on my kids. Help me to touch their lives. And Lord, we agree with you today. Everybody pray, would you pray with me this? Lord, we agree with you today that everything we have is from you. Everything we have is from you, Lord. We give you the credit and the glory for everything we have comes from you if it's any count at all. And we bless you for that. We give you glory for that. We worship you for that. Father, I pray for the men that are here today that you would make them the, the warriors you want them to be, the men you want them to be. The Lord, that whether we work, play, or go to church, or sit with our families, we would do it all for the glory of the Lord all of our heart for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with me?